When you got it, say so. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And it says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If this offering is a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for your presence that is here. And Spirit of God, we just ask that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. That we would hear the call as your image bearers to be holy as you are holy. We pray that you remove distractions from our minds and our hearts. And let us not be hearers alone, but let us be doers of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord if you don't have an outline, raise your hand. The ushers will be sure to bring you an outline. We want to be sure that you can follow along, specifically in the, in the introduction. You also have the three points of the message where you can take notes for those. And I hope that you utilize these in, 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 in spending some time before the Lord throughout the week. As we're going through the book of Leviticus, we're not going to go through every single verse. Right now we read three verses and we're going to cover seven chapters. Hallelujah. Amen. And so what, what, what I want you to know is that I'm going to give you homework every week, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an introduction to what you're going to read this week, amen? And so there's seven days in a week. So this week you can read one chapter in Leviticus a day. Come on now. And you can, you can sit down and you can look at these sacrifices or you can read them all, you know, in one sitting. They're not really long chapters, so they, they don't take that long to read. But the point is that we're not going to look at every single minute detail within the book of Leviticus. That would take us a long time. And I don't think that is necessary because we are not the children of Israel who God was commanding at that time. However, we are the covenant children of God who God is commanding now. And although we are, not, we are not biological and physical Israel, we, 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 we are a, a spiritual Israel because we have been brought into this covenant relationship. You look at the book of Romans chapter 11, you can turn there, not now, but on your own time, go, you can add that to your homework for the week. And, and, and you'll see that what God does is he, he engrafts us into this root, into this vine, into this tree. He takes these wild olive branches and grafts them in. He makes us part of this spiritual Israel. Those who would have faith in Jesus Messiah, that's, that, that's who we are. And so when we look at the book of Leviticus, it shouldn't be a book that we say, oh, that's the Old Testament. Oh, yeah, it is the Old Testament for sure. But I want you to know something, in, in case you didn't know this, when you look at the book of Acts, Chapter 2, right? And it tells you that the, the people that after those 3,000 people got saved, that they continue with one accord in prayer and they continued in one accord in the apostles' doctrine. I want you to know that our New Testament wasn't written yet. And so what the apostles were doing was what? They were going through the Torah. They were going through the law and the prophets, and they were expounding on who this Messiah was and how he had fulfilled the purposes of God. 
how he had fulfilled the commands of God, how he had fulfilled the prophecies that were written about him. That's what they were doing. They were going. So that tells me that when Paul is writing and he says all scripture is given by God, by inspiration of God, the theopneustos, the breathing, the divine breath of God. These scriptures that he is speaking about, referring to specifically, he was penning scripture at the moment. And I don't even know that Paul knew exactly what he was doing. He was writing letters to churches. And yet we know that Peter says later on, hey, those words that Paul wrote that he said, those words are equal to the scriptures of the Old Testament. But here's what we have that is crystal clear, is that Paul says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's good for instruction, for correction, for rebuke, and, and, and to equip us that we may not be lacking anything. This, this is what this, and you know what scripture he was referring to? The Old Testament. That means Leviticus. Hallelujah. Now I'm not, I don't, I don't preach the Old Testament a lot. You guys that have been here for almost the last 20 years, you know that I have, I, I don't go through all of the Old Testament books all the time as the Lord leads me. And so uh, Minister Hector asked me, hey man, have you ever preached through Leviticus? And I was like, no, I have not done that. And he was like super excited. He sent me like three texts, like just aligning. This is why Leviticus is no problem. I'm like, amen, praise the Lord. And he didn't realize he was confirming like what was in my heart a few months earlier. I had heard at, at Forge for you guys, for the men that are in the room, if you happen to be in this area every Tuesday morning, you could join me in Winter Springs at Willow Creek Church from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, and we get into God's Word and we learn about what it means to be a man of God. If you can't make it on Tuesday, on Thursdays, they meet in Longwood. This is for men only. Men, if you want to get up, you know, men get up early sometimes, go. Check out, sit down at a table, get to know God, get to know more about God, get to know what it means to be a great man according to God's definition of greatness. I have a lot of definitions out there of greatness, especially when it comes to men. But men, let me also tell you something else. If you can't make Tuesday or Thursday, guess what? On Saturday morning, amen, praise the Lord. At Core Faith Church, our core men are gathering. We had our first gathering um, yesterday. was a great time. I hope that all of you will make it. Because, you know, I hear some of y'all talk, right? But I want to be there. Amen. You want to be there? You need, you need me to send you a reminder? Is that, that what you, I'll do it. I, as a matter of fact, I did. Glory to God. Amen. Y'all try to ignore my text, right? Like, oh, Bishop text. I'm not going to say anything because if I say something, I'm accountable. Glory to God. It doesn't matter. You still got the text. Amen. Praise the Lord. You want to be there? Let's be there. Let's be about it. Let's learn what it means to be great men. But nonetheless... At Forge, uh, last year, I think it was toward the end of the year, Dr. Richard Pratt, he came in and he spoke. He just gave like a 30-minute talk on Leviticus. And I have never been so rocked by someone talking about the book of Leviticus. I was like, oh, my goodness. I love what he said because he said, you know, we, we, we endeavor to be a lot of things. He's speaking to men in particular. We endeavor to be a lot of things. He's like, but you know what the one thing is that God calls you to be? Holy. Mom's in the room. I haven't forgot about you. Ladies in the room, guess what? You endeavor to be a lot of things. You know what the one thing is that God called you to be? Holy. He says, be ye holy as I am holy. And, and he, he puts that caveat, as I am holy for a reason. Because on this word, be holy, that, that word holy simply means to be separated. Separated, that's what it means. To be holy means to be separated. And you have to understand in the context in which they're living, there were these temples that were around them. And in those temples, there were something called temple prostitutes. Now, no one sitting in this room probably would equate holiness with prostitution, right? No, you would be like, that's not holy. 
But can I tell you something? In that context of those days, those temple prostitutes were holy. They were set apart for a sacred service under the pagan um, a, a type of worship. Understand that. That's why God doesn't just say, be holy, because wait, what does that mean? It means to be separate. Be separate for what? Ah, let me tell you. Be holy as I am holy. Amen. Oh, he raised the standard right there. He let us know to be holy as he is holy is to not just be absent of sin, not to just be separated from sin, but to be given to living righteously. To be given to benevolence, to be given to mercy, to be given to justice, to be given to love of neighbor, to be given to sacrificial service. That is what it means to be holy. And so in the book of Leviticus, we look through here and we have these, th this book that is, that is entirety, again, going back to some of what I said last week, it, it's called Leviticus because it is the book of the Levites, but it was not, they are not the primary topic. Let's, next week, we'll talk about the Levites and their specific work and why they needed to be made holy. But this book is not just written for the Levites, it is written to the children of Israel, given to the Levites who were the pastors the elders, who were the overseers, the instructors of the congregation of God called Israel at that time. And they were given these words so that way they could instruct the children of Israel on how, and we start, how do we worship God? How do we worship him? Hmm. Do we need drums? Do we need guitars? Do we need keyboards? They didn't have... <laughs> How do we worship him? See, worship was, was, worship was different when these scriptures are written. Worship involved these animal sacrifices that we'll talk about. Worship was connected to that, but that wasn't that that was part of what they were doing. That was a huge part of their sacrificial worship system. And, and, and the reason why God does that is because God wants to be in relationship with us. See, here's the thing. If you look at your outline, since the moment Adam ate the forbidden fruit, man has had an issue saying yes to things that separate him from God. Since that moment, he has said yes to things that separate him from God, whether it is sexual immorality, whether it is lust for other things, whether it is greed, whether it is the love of money, whether it is the pursuit of goals that do not honor God, or whether it is even the pursuit of good things that get in the way of God. Because for us as the church, like we need to talk about that too. Because sometimes we're going after good things, but those things become ultimate things and they're not supposed to be. We were created. My brother Angel, he said, he said it last week. He repeated it to the men. He wants us to get it through our heads. We have been created for one thing, to worship God. We have been created for one thing, to worship God. An intimate relationship. We have been created. To, that's the reason why we, why, why we worship stuff, because we were created to worship. That's the reason why we are obsessive about certain things because we were created to worship. So you get that car? Come on now. That thing is brand new. It smells new. Don't No food in this vehicle. I don't care if you are starving. Come on now. 
I don't care what is going on. I don't care that you haven't eaten all day. You ain't eating in this car. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> we got to park in the furthest parking spot away from everyone because I don't want no one opening their doors to hit my car. Come on now. <laughs> Glory to God. That car, that car, it, 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 take it through a car wash. Never. <laughs> Blasphemy. I'm not wa- taking that thing through a car wash. Are you crazy? This, this thing is sacred, glory to God. The Lord blessed me with this one here. Yeah. I, w- I, w- I was probably like that for like two minutes of my life, you know. <laughs> it didn't last very long. I mean, it might have been two years. I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> two years, two minutes, what's the difference? No. <laughs> Just like anybody else. We become, why? Because there is satisfaction that comes out of that relationship. The problem is, that car is going to get dirty. At some point. But you know who never changes? You know who is always satisfying? You know who is able to fill that void in our hearts, that vacancy, that it is God himself. But how do we engage him? The title of the message is, Why So Many Sacrifices? Why So Many Sacrifices? Seven chapters, five of those chapters deal with five sacrifices. Then two of those chapters, they deal with the regulations for those five sacrifices. Sacrifice seems to be pretty important. It's the first thing that God begins to instruct the children of Israel about. But here's the thing. The only remedy for this, this, this thing that we have inside of us that says yes to things that separate us from God is atonement. So what's atonement? Look at your outline here. Atonement in the Christian thought, it is the act by which God and man are brought together in personal relationship. Listen, I want to drive that home. God wants, I am all about the collectiveness of the body. I, listen, I call you guys. On Wednesday nights, we're praying, we're seeking the Lord. On Sunday mornings, 845, we're seeking the Lord. You should all be present. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. We should be present together to seek the Lord. You cannot, listen, there there are Core Connect life groups. You should be part of that. You need the body of Christ. I got three amens and an uh uh-huh. Amen. For long enough, we try to live it our way, do it our, listen, we have been created to worship God according to his standards, and part of that is being in meaningful community. But I need you to know something as well, is that he wants a personal relationship with you. He doesn't just want you to come to church. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to just, the problem with us is that we're like extremists. I'm an extremist kind of guy, right? Like, I don't know about you, but when my wife and I argue sometimes, I don't always argue. Pastor Aldo, he hit us, he hit us all hard last night in the marriage. If you're a married couple, you missed last night. I'm going to let you know that right now. Glory to God. But sometimes when I argue, right, I, I, don't, I don't argue, you know, because I want to compromise. Or, or No, no, I, I'm like, you know what? You don't want that and forget it. I'm, I'm not doing anything. Wait, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. See, some of y'all laughing because you know you're extremists too, right? Or you're married to an extremist, something like that. Something, something's going on. But, 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 but if we can't do, if we can't go like, like, like all the way, I don't want it. Right? That's not good, man. Come on. That's, listen, marriage, let me give you like marriage 102, not 101. Marriage 102, right? Don't be an extremist, man. Learn to communicate, right? Learn to talk. Learn to compromise. Hallelujah. 
we got to learn to compromise. But, 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 here, but here, here's the thing in the Christian thought, again, getting back to atonement. In Christian thought, the act by which God and man are brought together in personal relationship. The term, I love this, the term is derived from the Anglo-Saxon word meaning making at one. Hence, at one man. I love that. At one man. God meant for us to be one with him. Get that. The creator intended for us to be one with him, to be in communion, in community with him. He and his purpose is for us to be one with him. As you continue to read there, there is, this, there is this, this animosity, there is this enmity that is there. There's this separation. When this term atonement, it presupposes this need for us to come back together with our creator. There has to be reconciliation. There has to be forgiveness. And so what does God say? Be ye holy as I am holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. I want to be one with you. Here's what I want you to think about. Oneness with God is impossible without perfect sacrifice. Oneness with God is impossible without perfect sacrifice. God desired oneness with Israel. He desired communion with Israel. But he knew Israel had a problem. It's called a sin nature. He knew that Israel would fall short. He knew that even though he was going to give Israel the Ten Commandments and every single other commandment that came along with it, as you go through, because I know you're going to be faithful, you're going to do your homework, you're going to read the book of Leviticus. As Israel saw all of the, God knew, I'm going to give them all of these commandments, and guess what? They're, still, they're going to fail. I'm going to show Israel how powerful I am. I'm going to reveal to Israel how, how mighty. I'm going to take them to Mount Sinai, and I'm going to shake them like they ain't never been shaken. They're, 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 listen, they're going to want to run from me because they're afraid of me. And guess what? And I'm going to let them know, don't, don't fear. Don't run from me. Obey me. Obey me. You don't need to run. Obey. You don't need to run. Honor me by doing what I say. We're going to get to a scripture at the end, hopefully. I hope we get there. I only got 20 minutes, but listen. There's a scripture in the book of Hebrews that to me is one of the, it, 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 it's, it's, it's one of the most encouraging scriptures, but then it is also one of the most scary scriptures you, re, you read. Because on one side, you see that he is the sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate, complete, one and done sacrifice. But then you will also know, man, if you're living in sin... Hell awaits you. Hear me. If you are living in deliberate and willful sin, hell awaits you. Eternity separated from the love, from the goodness, from the grace, from all the good things we hear. It awaits you if you, and I want you to know, this book of Hebrews is not written to people who are not in the church. That's why it's so scary. It wouldn't be scary if it was like in the newspaper, like, okay, whatever, like we found it in some ancient archive that was written to the public. No, 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 no. This is written in sacred scriptures. These warnings that are there for us because God is holy. So what do we see? There's three things that seem to stand out in the sacrifices. Three things, three things. Quality. We see that they're without blemish. They're fine flour. They're unleavened. 
We see the motivation that we see here in just these three verses. We see the motivation, free will. As you look through the other sacrifices, first fruits, right? The, the motivation has got to be there. And the manner in which these offerings are offered, these sacrifices are offered. They're offered in a place, and they are offered a certain way. And so what does this tell us about the God that we proclaim, that we worship? He is holy, and he has specifics on how to worship him. We don't, we, we don't just give God what we want. That's never sufficient. We, we, we don't give God leftovers. We, we, we don't give God the scraps of our life. We give God everything because he gave us everything. In premarital counseling, we have this question. What's wrong with this statement, right? You, you give 10% to God and do whatever you want with the other 90%. You know, the problem is, is that we think, hey, I gave my 10%. I done tipped God. Now I can do whatever I want with the rest. Some of us don't make it to the 10% tip. Come on now. That's another topic for another day. But anyway, ultimately, the problem with the statement is that God is not concerned with what you do with 10%. He's concerned with what you do with 100%. Because guess what? You're not just going to give an account for 10%. God's not going to come like the tax man at the end of, you know, you know it's tax time, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> He's not going to come like at the tax man, like the tax man at the end of the year be like, hey, man, did you do 10% in 2020? Did you do 10%? He, he ain't doing all that. He's looking at what did you do with everything that I entrusted you with? The first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God determines, God determines. the quality of an acceptable sacrifice. God determines the quality of an acceptable sacrifice. So there's five, I told you there's five, uh, there's five types of sacrifice or offerings that are described in these first five chapters. And I want you to notice in verse three, look at verse three. If his offering is a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. God determines the quality of an acceptable sacrifice. For the burnt offering, which is the first offering that is talked about, it has to be a male, but not just a male. It has to be a male without blemish. <clears throat> That's the first sacrifice. God determines the quality of the sacrifice. So, so there's five types of sacrifices that we're going to talk about really quickly. We'll run through them. Three of them, I want you to notice this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Three of these five sacrifices are what is called atoning sacrifices. They are, they, they are sacrifices that are addressing sin. How do we know this? The burnt offering. Look really quick at verse 4. I didn't we didn't read verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So what was he doing? He's laying hands on the sacrifice, this male, burnt, this, this male without blemish. And when he brings this sacrifice, he lays his hands on it, transferring his guilt to that sacrifice. That's what he's doing. And so now he is transferring that guilt, and then that sacrifice is brought before the Lord, and then God transfers what? Mercy and forgiveness 
to the offerer. Is what, that, that, that's what's supposed to happen in this particular sacrifice. But three of them are atoning sacrifices. So the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering, those three are atoning sacrifices. Those are dealing with sin. And then you have the other two offerings, which those are the grain and the peace offering, and those are not atoning sins. Those are covenant celebration. We'll, we'll unpack that a little bit in a moment. And then, but, but, but here's the thing. And, 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 and there was one that was not to be eaten. The burnt offering, the first one, that wasn't supposed to be eaten. That was supposed to just burn before the Lord 24-7. The other offerings, there was some eating that took place because they were provision for the priest and they were also communion for the offerer. That's what, that, was, that was what was supposed to happen in these other offerings. The others were eaten as a portion, again, for the priest. And so these five offerings, real quick, the burnt offering, the first one that we look at here. The burnt offering is supposed to be a 24-7 devotion and dedication to the Lord. 24-7 devotion and dedication to the Lord. The burnt offering was supposed to never go out. It was supposed to be there day and night, burning before the presence of God. Jesus was, we read it last week, didn't we? Jesus was that lamb without blemish, was he not? Jesus is that one and done sacrifice that is before the presence of God. He is that eternal sacrifice that is there before him. Always, when God looks this way, guess what? You're repentant. Your faith is in Christ. You're born again. You're you're not living. I'm going to get to this in a moment because this is so important. You're not living in intentional, unrepentant sin. He sees the blood. He sees the sacrifice of Jesus. But here's what I want you to know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service. It's verse 1. What is he saying? He's saying this burnt offering that was there in the Old Testament, it doesn't end in the New Testament. You are supposed to be that burnt offering. Come on now. 24-7, in every interaction you have, you are to be burning brightly for the Lord. Your life is supposed to be an aroma before the presence of God. Every moment that you say no to sin, there is an, there's, a, there's a fragrance that is coming before the presence of God. Every time you obey God and do what he says, there is a fragrance that is being lifted unto the presence of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Why? Because living sacrifices have to know what the will of God is in order for you to continue to burn brightly as an aroma before God's presence and not a stench. We have to know the will of God. But when we start thinking like the world, when we start reasoning like the world, when we start pursuing the things of the world, guess what? Oh, it looks good, but how does it smell to the Lord? How does it smell to God's presence? Is, is, is God pleased with, I mean, listen, our vision, right? To please the Lord in everything we do. Does your life, I'm, just, I'm keeping it 100 with you, does your life offer God a fragrance or a stench? Why so many sacrifices? Second sacrifice 
is the grain sacrifice. That's the fruit of our labor or their labor. That's their thank you for provision. That's the offering that was fine flour, no rough edges. In other words, that flour had to be processed completely and fully. It couldn't have any leaven in it. Fine flour that was offered to the Lord, processed. Hey, thank, thank God Jesus is our perfection. Because guess what? We all rough around the edges. Jesus is our perfection. He is what? The bread of life. He is that un- unleavened bread, that perfection that we should be feasting on if we want to do what? If we want to live for his glory, for his honor. He offers himself for us again. We're supposed to honor God with that. The third offering is the peace offering. The peace offering, again, the grain offering and the peace offering, those are the two communion offerings. Something important to notice about the peace offering, it is the only offering shared with the offerer or the worshiper. The other ones weren't shared with the worshiper. But the peace offering was shared with the worshiper. Why? Think about this for a moment. Because communion with God is a result of God's forgiveness. Jesus is our peace, is he not? And so what the symbolism there that was taking place in this, this, this peace offering as they offered this unto the Lord is it was brought before the Lord, but then it's like, hey, I want to have communion with you. I've received your offering. So symbolically, when they partook of that offering, guess what? They were saying sweet communion. Sweet communion back with the Lord. Again, these are the two that are the covenant celebration offerings. The, the, the fourth one is the sin offering. And this is the one, I, I think that this is so important because when you read on this sin offering, I, listen, I want you to read it and think about this because it should be noted, it should be clear, there is no sacrifice for high-handed intentional sin. And that, that, that should have hit you hard. There is no sacrifice that is given that says, hey, if someone sins intentionally, guess what? You just go get a bull and you sacrifice it and you're good to go. No. When you read about the sin offering, it's like if someone was unaware that they sinned and then it was brought to their attention. Read it. Read it on your own. Because we live in this day where, like, we, we serve this feeble Jesus or something that he, like, needs us so bad that he just lets us live in perpetual sin. Like, he loves us so much that he's like, hey, you can just live how you want to live. Don't worry about it. My blood is some... The devil is a liar. And he's got you duped. He's got you deceived if that's how you're living. But the Old Testament, the picture that we have of this sin offering is that, listen, there's no sacrifice for intentional sin. This was for ignorance of a violation of God's law. Here's another thing. You know, some time ago I was talking about prayer, and in prayer I talked about daily repentance. Some of you were here for that. That offended some people because I said you should repent daily. Well, listen, I don't know about you, but I know I need to repent multiple times daily. Not just daily, not just like in the morning when I wake up, not just before I go to bed, but throughout the day, I re- there's moments that I realize, the Holy Spirit, man, you failed. And, and listen, to, to, to my credit, some days there's less confession than others, but nonetheless, there is no day that there's no confession. Sorry, guys, I don't walk on water. I tell you this all the time. I am not the holy one, the guru that is made. No. <laughs> 
I have all the answers to holiness. I do not. I know the Holy One, though. And I know this. I know that I cannot, and I can tell you this without, any, without hesitation. I do not live in perpetual sin. I do not intentionally sin. I don't just live, well, I'm going to just do what I want to do. No, 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 no. I told the men this yesterday, and I think that this is so important when you think about why you live holy. You live holy not because you love people so much. You live holy because you love God so much. When I offend, see, when I, when I offend my wife, when I offend my children, when I offend my neighbor, when I am a slacker at work, when I, listen, when, when, when I do whatever it is that is sinful, you know who I've offended primarily? What did David say in Psalm 51? I have sinned against you and you alone. Wait, wait, time out, time out, David. You had Uriah killed. How did you sin against God and God alone? There's other sin that I, that I would like to unpack for you, but I won't do that, that David did. But nonetheless, here's the thing. His sin was against people, but his sin was against their creator. When Paul, remember we read, I don't know if we read this here, I don't know if I was reading it by myself, but remember when Paul, in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, when he was coming with, 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 um, with, with stuff from Damascus, he, he was like, listen, he was on his way to Damascus, he was ready to arrest everyone who named the name of Jesus, they had given him authority for all that, and you remember what happens when he encounters Jesus? What does Jesus say? Why are you persecuting me? That's what Jesus said. See, we always think, oh, yeah, I'm just sinning against. No, 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 no. You are sinning against the God of heaven. When we sin, we are sinning against God. Again, the sin offering is made. There's a certain way that it's supposed to happen. It's ignorance. And I want you to know this. Ignorance doesn't cancel guilt. Are you here? Just because you didn't know, (laughs) it doesn't matter whether you know or not. You're still guilty. If not, there there would be no need for this sacrifice. So just because you're ignorant of it doesn't mean that you're not guilty of it, so you need to address it. Thank the living God that Jesus was made sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the the righteousness of him who died for us. That great exchange, he who knew no sin. See, everybody in this room, you know sin. Hopefully you're fighting sin, you're wrestling sin. Hopefully you're not sleeping in sin, resting in sin, chilling in sin. Hopefully that's not you. But all of us know sin, but there's one who didn't know sin. There's one who did not sin, tempted in all ways, yet found without sin. He was found without sin, not guilty. That one died for us. And not only that, not only was he that that one who died for us, but there's also something else, and you can write this down, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 11 through 13. That tells us that Jesus was crucified outside the city gate. There's a reason for that. The sin offering had to, it wasn't offered in the same place as the burnt offering. The sin offering was offered in a, in a holy place, away from where the altar was. Symbolism. See, when you read it, you got to see Jesus, right? It's not just learning about these sacrifices. you got to see Jesus in these sacrifices. 
The fifth sin is the trespass sin. It sounds like sin and trespass are the same thing. There's a little bit of a difference. The trespass offering emphasized the damage that was done to others by the offender. That was the difference. Whereas the sin offering emphasized the offender's guilt before God. The sin offering was more about how I have offended God. The trespass offering was how I offended my neighbor. And not just that, but when you look at the trespass offering, it's closely related to the sin offering. This offering is focused upon damage to people or property with the connection, check this out now, of restitution. Hallelujah. See, because when you sin against someone, guess what? It's costly. You hurt somebody. You break some kind of relationship. You do something against somebody. Guess what? You need to fix it. Oh, but I thought Jesus was my sin debt. Oh, he was. Your, your, your vertical relationship is dependent upon Jesus. However, your horizontal relationships, not so much. You're expecting Jesus to go over there and fix everything when you need to go and repent and figure out, how do I fix this? What did I do wrong? How do I address this situation? How do I rectify things? How do I make things right? The beauty of this is that, again, Jesus is our sin debt. So we see three things here really quickly. We see a commitment to God, communion with God, and cleansing from God. Those are the three things that we all need. Commitment to God, the burnt offering, commitment to God. 100% committed, 100%, 24-7, burning before his throne. 100% commitment to God. Communion with God. The grain offering, the peace offering, that communion, that relationship with God. Cleansing from God. We all need forgiveness. We all need the mercy of God. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, good intentions are not the same thing as right motivation. Good intentions are not the same thing as right motivation. I know that you guys are smart and you're like, come on, Bishop, that's semantics. You're right, it is, kind of. Kind of. Because I said good intentions. Good intentions and right motivation. See, there, 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 there's a vast difference I can have good intentions. That doesn't mean my motivation is right. Because intention a lot of time is about the outcome, right? Like if I do this for you, this is going to make you happy. Hallelujah. I may get something out of this when I do. I have good intentions. That doesn't mean my motivation is right. Because if at the end the motivation is I get something, was my motivation correct? No, 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 no. If my motivation, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in, with my parents, whether it's with, in my workplace, when my motivation for doing good is what I get out of it, it's not the same thing. See, right motivation is different. Right motivation is why. Why am I doing this? What is the motive? Whether, whether someone sees it or not, I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. Whether someone says thank you or not, it's the right thing to do. I am, do. I am motivated to do right because what? What did we talk about a moment ago? When I sin, I sin against God alone. And guess what? When I do right, I'm doing right to him alone. I'm living for an audience of one. I'm living for one to tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm living for one to communicate with me that I have been faithful in what he has given me to do. That's, that, that's the right motivation, the motivation, the desire to please the Lord. And so here's the thing. Look at, look, look at verse 3 again here. He So the first thing was that it had to be a male without blemish. And then he says what? He shall offer it of his own free will. Not because he has to. Not because he must because he wants to. 
Because he wants to communicate with God, I know that I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your glory. Even though that's New Testament words, that's what those words are speaking in the Old Covenant. I know, I know that you are holy and I'm not. You call me to be holy. So I want to offer that of my own free will. Not something that is done by by me being compelled or by compulsion. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it tells us that let everyone give as he has purposed in his heart. Not by guilt or compulsion. Because it's easy when you get to church, right? I just said the whole thing about 10 and 90, and some of you are like, man, I got to tighten up. You're like, oh, man, I forgot my ties. Uh-huh, okay. Praise the Lord. We have digital giving. Amen. Glory to God. Never fear. We got your back. But it's easy to be guilted into doing stuff, right? It's easy to feel compelled like, man, I got to do it. I get, you know, they're going to look at me funny if I don't, right? But no, no, no. When we offer this offering, it's supposed to be from the place of our free will. Not because someone twisted our arm or twisted our ear or pushed. No, no, no. It's because we want to offer to him. See, here's something we have to realize. It should be noted that God has always desired a right heart posture in worship. He's never wanted, uh, you know, someone, so, someone to have to motivate you to sing. He's never wanted to have somebody have to, have to compel you to do right. That isn't it. He's always wanted the heart posture of the person to be correct. In that time, he wasn't interested in sterile, heartless sacrifice any more than he is interested in empty singing or half-hearted devotion or what I would call legalistic obedience. See, because check this out. You could learn every single thing that God said about the burnt offering. You could learn every single thing that God said about the peace offering, about all of these different, and you could do it to the T, but if your heart wasn't in it. And Isaiah, does not God rebuke them and say, man, your lips are near me, but your hearts are far from me. God has always been concerned about the posture of our hearts. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, what we offer God is just as important as the manner it's offered. What we offer him is just as important as how we offer it to him, how we give it to him. Again, if we look at this verse, after the free will offering, he says what? At the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. There was also a place that worship was supposed to be offered. There was a place where worship was supposed to happen. Where the you, you weren't listen, you weren't gonna go to your backyard and just like open up the barbecue pit and just decide, well, you know what? I, I've sinned against God. I'm gonna offer this offering to you. That isn't how it happened. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna come out to the front of my tent in those times where they have tents, they have backyards and barbecue pits, but I'm gonna come to the front of my tent. And I am going to slaughter this animal, and I'm going to start a fire, and I'm going to burn it. And you know what? I did it. It's, it's a male without blemish. It's from my own will. But God said, you don't offer that there. You offer that here. You see, in our days, we, because again, God loves me. And God wants a personal relationship with me. It doesn't matter where I do anything. It's not true. See, the location of these sacrifices was important to the overall quality of the sacrifice. Let me say that again. 
The location of these sacrifices was, was important to the overall quality of the sacrifice. So again, as you study each sacrifice, I know you're going to be faithful to do that. Read chapters 1 through 7 this week. You'll notice they weren't all offered in the same place or the same way. One of the offerings, I didn't write it down, but one of the offerings is not a male offering. It is a female offering. So not all of them were male. I'm bringing a peace offering, but wait, wait a second. It's supposed to be a female. But hey, but it's without blemish. I know, but it's supposed to be a female. All right, there, 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 there's a way that these offerings are supposed to happen. Each of these have a specific connection, as we looked at earlier, to the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus. However, in the moment, think about this. I want you to understand this. In the moment, it made the offerer aware of not only his actions that led to the sacrifice, his sin, his gratitude, whatever it was, it wasn't just a reminder of that, but it also reminded him of the holiness of the one he was offering the sacrifice to. See, because when the offerer came and he said, I'm going to offer this bull, I'm going to offer this goat, I'm going to offer this pigeon, I'm going to offer this wavo, whatever, I'm going to offer this to God because of something that's going on in me. But I also realize the one I'm offering, he has standards. Hmm. He's not desperately waiting for someone to notice him. You know how some of us are in our, in our personal relationship. <sighs> We're waiting for someone to notice, and finally some ignoramus notices us, and we're ready to give it all to him or her because they noticed us. And, and we of worth and of value, instead of saying, wait a second, I have standards. <laughs> you are definitely not what I've been praying for. Hello. <laughs> well, maybe, no, 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 <laughs> glory to God. But God is not like that. God is not just, oh my goodness, they brought me a sacrifice. I'm so happy. <laughs> give it to me however. I don't, I don't care. Just, just give. I, I just, no, that, that's not the God we serve. The God we serve has standards. And in everything we do for him, he wants us to be reminded he is holy. Now, I got a long quote for you, and I'm going to need you to follow along with me. The sovereign God, finally, he ordained not only principles of access by which his servant people, that's who Israel is, that's who we are, might approach him, but he also designated special times and places. Say places. Special times and places. Thus, Leviticus, like Exodus, instructs the covenant community to meet the Lord as a community at the tabernacle, the central sanctuary that he invested with his glory as a visible sign of his habitation among them. He could not be approached randomly or whimsically. Note, listen to this, no king holds audience at the discretion of his subjects. Did you hear that? No king holds audience with, his, with, with, with the people that are subject to him based upon where they want to meet him. 
When do you see that? Go think about every movie you've ever seen about a king. <laughs> Very rarely do you ever see a king who leaves his throne to go meet people who have things they need to talk to him about. I'm pretty sure you could probably, if you can name any, you're, they're very few. Like everyone you're thinking about is like, yep, I remember that, I remember that. Yeah, you know why? That's how kings are. You respect the king. You come to the king. The king doesn't bow to you. That's our problem in our Americanized Christianity. We think the king bows to us somehow. We think the king does what we say. We think the king, for some reason, because he loves us so much. And Oh, wait a second. There's a way that we come to God. There's some specific places I think that we are supposed to worship him. And let me, let, let, let me say it like this because I, I do believe 100% that when we gather together, hear me now, when we gather together, this, this place, this building is the place where the house of God gathers. Are you here? Amen. One of the places because we're not the only church on the planet, but this is one place where the house of the building of God comes together. So let me ask you a question. If you're not coming together, how are you gathering with the, with the building? How are you gathering in the presence of God? Listen, I, I totally understand there's some folks, and, and you may be in here, you may be online, you've had some issues, you know, health-wise or whatever the case is, and, you know, you're checking us out online, you're watching us online, but one of the worst things for that, that happened from COVID is that people just decided, well, I don't have to go to church To have church. I can have church in my underwear, on my living room, what, in my pajamas. Pastor Aldo said something that was peculiar. He said, uh, you know, thank you for joining us this morning or this afternoon or this evening or when. What do you mean? What do you mean you're going to join me in the afternoon? Church starts at 10. At minimum, if you're going to come to church online, be on time. Hello. You didn't even have to brush your teeth. You didn't have to. Listen, you ain't got to brush your hair. You don't got to look presentable. I mean, my good. You know what we should start doing? We should cut this junk off and just take it down. I'm just saying. When we're done, we're done. That's it. Be too legalistic, right, Bishop? You're supposed to love people. No, no. I love everyone. <laughs> but I love God more. Because that's what happened. See, and I can tell you from personal experience, right? At first, you know, you see whatever the numbers are, they're like jumping up because everybody's online at 10. Toward the end of the pandemic, all of a sudden you're like, hold on, wh where's all these numbers at? Oh, they, they figured something out. This is going to be there later whenever they wake up. Where's the holiness of God in that? We're supposed to gather as the body. We're supposed to worship together. The body is supposed to come together. The house of God is supposed to come together. That's what's supposed to happen. Not because I said it. We're going to read that text in a moment. I'm only 11 minutes over. I still got like five minutes, but we're going to be all right. I think they, they tricked me. They gave me like 22 minutes to preach. I don't know. Something happened there. I kid, I kid. We have the best technician team. Can we give them a hand? Thank them for all their hard work. Especially the camera people. They switch them out every week on me because I move so much. They're like, I, oh, my goodness, they're trying to catch me anyway. He could not, the king could not be approached randomly or whimsically 
No king holds audience at the discretion of his subjects. Rather, the king establishes regular times of assembly with his people when he receives their tribute and addresses their concerns. Did you hear that? The king has a specific time that he receives their offering and addresses their issues. Now, let me throw throw something out there for you. Each and every one of you, we said this last week, I believe, that we are royal priests. Are we not? We are the priesthood of believers. And you know what God did for every one of us in this room? If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, he gave you a gift. You know what that gift is for? It's not for you to flaunt it. It's for you to share it. It's for you to minister to the needs of the people. It's for you to be led by his spirit when we gather together, whether it's a word of knowledge, whether it's a word of wisdom, whether it's a tongue and an interpretation. Come on now, let's be biblical. Whether it's a prophetic word, whether it's a discerning of spirits, God has given you gifts, a gift of healing. What about, I mean, I don't know about you. Have you been led by the Lord to just maybe put your hand on somebody? You don't have to make a big spectacle about it. You just felt led by the Lord to go and lay your hand on someone. And you know what? God may want to use you to heal them. How about that? We don't hear that. Or maybe there's something burning inside of you, and you know you need to say it to someone, but you don't because you're afraid you might be wrong. Listen, let me help you fix that fear of being wrong. Listen, this is what I feel. I'm not saying that this is the Lord because I don't know, but here's what I need to share with you. Let them discern whether it's God or not. If it's not God, call me crazy, whatever. But at least I shared that thing. See, what you need to know about your king, but check it out. This doesn't happen if you're not together. It doesn't occur if you don't gather. But it's not just Sunday morning that we gather because here's the thing. This is, this is the beauty of the God that we serve. You know what he allows us to do? He allows us to decide, right, when, and when I say us, the leadership, to decide when we're going to gather. And then those times should be sacred. Come on, somebody. Those times should be moments that we say, you know what? Man, I might need to bend my schedule. I might, to, I might need to make some adjustments in my life. <laughs> shift, there you go. I like that. <laughs> I might need to shift some stuff. I might need to move some stuff. So what? So I can sanctify those times and say, wait a second, I need to be around the body. Because A, maybe God wants to speak to me, or B, maybe God wants to use me to minister to someone else. Our lives are not our own, church. See, the problem with us is that we have, we, we have come to this place where we are just so, I mean, when it comes to church, it's like, man, I, I told you, I've, I've shared this statistic before, a long time ago, so it's worth sharing again. But like 30 years ago, you know, you know what the average attendance for the committed Christian was? Three times a week. Sunday, prayer meeting, and then midweek. That was committed believers. You know what the average is today? Three times a month. If that's you, you just need to repent right now and say, Lord, forgive me for being such a heathen. Hello. Forgive me for my lack of commitment to your body. Forgive me for not caring enough about your people to gather with them on a consistent basis. Forgive me for being so selfish and self-centered and all about myself that I forgot about your church. 
that I've, that I've allowed the lie to enter my ears, that there's something better to do than be with the body. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Oh, you may feel like there's something better to do because there may be something that you feel like is more fun. I love what Leonard Ravenhill, he talked about entertainment. He's like, man, I think television is like the, it's, it's, it's this entertainment. And what we end up doing is we end up entertaining ourselves to death because what it is, it's false joy. It's false joy. I got a challenge for you. Here's the challenge. Check it out. Y'all ready? I got another challenge. This is, not, this is not a weekly challenge. This is for the whole month of March. Ooh, y'all are like scared right now. <laughs> for the whole month of March, this, this is my challenge to you. My challenge to you for the whole month of March, whatever you got on your, on your calendar, scrub it. Unless it's like work and you have to be there. I understand that. I understand work, y'all. I get work. I get it. I also understand if you have a newborn in the house because I have one of those and it's kind of tough sometimes. I get it. I get those two things. Work and newborns. I understand them. But here's my challenge for you. For the whole month of March, shut your TV off. Shut your Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is that you're on. All of it. Just do an electronic fast. The whole month of March. But don't, but, but, but don't just fast, hallelujah, from those things. I like to call it fasting, but I'm going to call it fasting for the moment because some of you feel like you're dying already. But then I want to I challenge you to be here every Wednesday night when we pray. I want to challenge you to make sure that you are, man, that you're committed to, that's March, right? March is the end of Connect, right? It's February, March is when it ends, right? So if you're not part of a Connect, you better get connected right now. Talk to Pastor Aldo, come on. Commit to being on Sunday, not online, unless you are sick, hallelujah. I understand sickness. I don't want to get sick, right? And you don't want to get sick, right? So you can stay home for that. That's why I continue to do worship online for those who may be sick. Hallelujah, not lazy. I love you guys. And it may not feel like it because you're like, man, he's so hard. No, I'm not being hard, man. I love you. And I want you to love God more than anything else. See, the reason why I challenge you to do that in March is because, look, this gives you a couple of weeks to really prepare yourself. Hallelujah. You can binge whatever show you're going to binge. You can get all that stuff out of your system. You can scroll until your finger falls off. I don't know. You can TikTok until you TikTok away. I don't Whatever. Hmm. I don't know. But I challenge you for that because what I'm saying is God wants to fill those areas of your life that you're filling with other stuff. He wants your life to experience. This is the thing. When believers express their faith in obedience, they experience the fullness of life. When we do that, when we empty ourselves of everything that is filling our cup, we experience the fullness that God wants us to experience. So here's my closing question for you, and I'm going to let you read that scripture by yourself. You can write it down. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 14 through 39. Jesus is that once and for all sacrifice. He did it all for us. He is our burnt offering. 
He is our peace offering. He is our grain offering. He is our sin offering. He is our trespass offering. He made the sacrifice once for us that never has to be duplicated again. But if you are living in willful sin, repent. If you are living in sin, repent. Turn from your sin today. So here's my closing question. Are you resting in and responding to the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus? Are you resting? See, a lot of us want to rest, but are you responding? It's not just chilling like, oh, I'm saved, I'm forgiven. No. It's not just resting. It's responding to that sacrifice. Responding in obedience. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right where you are. Listen, you may be in this place and you don't know Jesus. Today is the moment for you to come to him and humble your heart before him. This is the moment for you to humble your heart and say, God, I want to know you. I don't want to be separated from you. I want to live for your glory. I want to know you. I want to be born again. I want new life. If that's you in this place, when I pray, you need to pray to the Lord. You need to ask God, God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, make me a new creation. God, fill me with your spirit. God, break the chains off of my life. Lord, I want to live for your glory. If you don't know him, that's the prayer you should be praying. Today is the day of salvation. Don't ignore his voice. Don't ignore his conviction. If you're a follower of Jesus in this place and you're like, man, this hit me so hard. Because I want to worship God by my standards. I want to worship God my way. I want to worship God according to my thoughts. You say, God, I, don't, I, I hear you. I don't want to be that way. I want to live according to your plan and your pattern. If that's you, cry out to him. As I pray, cry out to him. Call on him for mercy. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I have proclaimed your word. I have shared your truth. And I pray that anything that I said, Lord God, that was me, Lord, that you remove it from the hearts and minds of those that are here. But Lord, that those words that are yours, that stung, those words that cut, those words that were deep, Lord, I pray that you would let those words penetrate to the depth of every heart in this place, every heart of those who are hearing. Holy Spirit, grip our lives, turn us from our compromise, turn us from our sin, turn us from our living of what we think is holy, God, and turn us unto you, God. Turn us to you. Father God, break up the hardness of our hearts. Resensitize us to you. You have called us to be holy as you are holy. So God, let us be holy unto you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. He's worthy. <laughs> Hallelujah.